Happy Valen Veterans Day. <laughs> I better not make fun of him because I'll probably do the same thing here. So That was pretty funny. They start with V. Can we just interchange them? Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 23. We'll actually begin in Acts 22, the last verse of 22, and then head into chapter 23. That's where we are. This is our How It Changes Everything teaching series. We're working our way through the book of Acts. And today we're going to talk about a good conscience. A good conscience. The past can't really affect us. The past can't really affect us. But our present feelings about the past can. It's called baggage. And uh, here's how it works out is that we've, we've all sinned. Would you agree with that? And we've all been sinned against. And then we become mired in what is known as guilt and shame. And uh, guilt is being troubled over what you have done. Shame is being troubled over who you are. You can have healthy and unhealthy guilt and shame. And unless that is taken to the cross and remedied, guilt and shame can, uh, can really... Hold us hostage. It becomes that those two become terrorists in our lives and wreak havoc, and they keep us from living the fullness of life that Jesus Christ has for us. It can kind of work like this in our life. Let's just say hypothetically that, uh, hey, I yell at my kids. I don't want to yell at my kids, but I'm somewhat of a permissive parent, but I let them do, get away with way too much, and I let it build up until I blow up. And so I feel guilt because I yell at my kids, I respond to them inappropriately, so I feel bad for what I've done, I'm troubled over what I've done, but then I've I've tried so hard to stop doing that and I can't stop, and so then I get mired in this shame, shame is troubled over who you are. Because I can't stop, I'm troubled over what I've done, and then I'm troubled over who I am, and of course, you know, I add to that tough job situation and family life isn't going so well with my marriage and so many other things, so I come home and have one too many. And I know I initially started just a little bit, just to kind of relax my nerve, but now it's moved into something that's kind of taking over my life. And and that's really where that whole addictive cycle begins to take place. Addiction, this addiction cycle happens when you're trying to deal with your distress with the very thing that caused your distress, so it kind of drives you to whatever it is, whatever you do in excess, um, it's, it's a way of medicating. We, we eat too much, we sleep too much, we watch too much TV. It's something in our lives to try to medicate because we are mired in guilt and shame and because we need the remedy of the cross. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's about a group of people who, who understood the guilt and shame of their life and they came to the cross and they they found, they found forgiveness and healing and restoration and, and all that we so desperately need. And, and unless we do that, we tend to, as we saw, as you, as you see in Adam and Eve in the third chapter of Genesis, we tend to hide and hurl. <laughs> hurling sounds like hurling, like, uh, but it, it's actually, we hide and then we're, we're brought out from our hiding, we tend to blame shift. We blame our chromosomes, we blame our conditioning, it was the way I was raised, we, we blame our circumstances rather than to take responsibility. 
and uh, it creates all kinds of problems in our lives. Uh, there's a non-Christian psychologist put it this way, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of their, of their forgiveness. So every one of us have sinned and we've been sinned against and so we've got some baggage to unload this morning. And So we're going to go to the cross and we're going to see how Paul teaches us that because he, he does a phenomenal job here and there's some really good insight before we, we pray, though, it was interesting. There's a, there's a section in the Lord's Prayer. How many have, have memorized the Lord's Prayer? Probably know what I'm talking about. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's a section in there where it says, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. Forgive us of the sins that we have committed as we forgive those that have committed sins against us. I mean, that's, he taught us to pray so that we would do that on a daily basis. I heard the story of a, of a mom who had taught her her daughter to pray that prayer and then she overheard the daughter praying that prayer when she came to the place forgive us of our and the King James says trespasses forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us but she had kind of altered the the words a little bit and she said forgive us of our trash baskets as we forgive those who have put trash in our baskets (laughs) I I really kind of like that forgive us of our trash baskets as we forgive those who have put trash in our baskets. So we need to do both of those things, don't we? Otherwise it creates a lot of guilt and shame in our lives and then we find ourselves uh, trying to medicate it and it just drives our life and I, I really believe it's the root issue of our lives and so I know this that that the Holy Spirit is here this morning to bring healing. He can heal you from the sins that you have committed He can set you free, and He can set you free from the sins that have been committed against you. I know that. I know He can. And so that's where we're headed this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Take a moment. And let's just go before, once again, the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God, we are so so delighted to be here today. We just, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Father in heaven, you... You have sent your Son, Jesus, to rescue us, to redeem us, to restore us from the sins we have committed and the sins that have been committed against us. So we pray through the study of your Word and the work of your Holy Spirit that you would bring healing, health, and wholeness to our lives. Set us free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed, as your Word says. So bring freedom to our lives as we unload this baggage for your glory, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Take a look at our text. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, so let's work through this text. We'll begin chapter 22, verse 30, kind of wrap it up. It'll tie into the next. We're only going to read the first 11 verses, and then I'll kind of quickly summarize the rest of the chapter. But it, uh, it goes like this, and... Uh, but on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews. So Paul has returned to Jerusalem. He finished up his third missionary journey. He is now has been arrested. There was this mob that tried to kill him, but they arrested him. They brought him into jail. Now they're questioning him. He had opportunity to give his first testimony. You're going to see his testimony be given three times, three different trials, as we head to the end of the book of Acts. And so here he is, uh, but on the, th- on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. 
Now chapter 23, verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, and this is a pretty profound statement that Paul says here. He says, brothers, I have lived my life before God, that's significant, in all good conscience up to this day. Did you notice that? Up to this day. So, so it's something that he needs to maintain, that we need to maintain every day. As we ask God to forgive us of our sins, as we forgive those that have sinned against us. That's something that you do on a daily basis, every day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Isn't that interesting? He kind of lashed out there pretty quick. But it's interesting to see how quick he recovers, though. You've often heard me talk about reaction recovery time. And you know that you're making progress when your reaction and recovery time are shrinking. When my wife and I were first married, our reaction and recovery time towards each other was quite lengthy, (laughs) to say the least. And now we can almost anticipate it before we actually head into into one of those moments where we're going to have a bad reaction towards each other. You can almost anticipate it and you, you prevent it and then you respond appropriately. But there's some reaction recovery time here. Then Paul said to him as he said, he says, God will uh, God strike you. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And then are you sitting to judge? He continues on. This is Paul speaking. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Notice Paul's response. And Paul said, oh, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, so he immediately quotes Exodus 22, 28. By the way, that's how you, that's part of your reaction recovery time. If you you know scripture, you're able to confront the issue of your life with that scripture, with the reality of who God is so that you can face and you can deal with it and you can respond to it appropriately. That's what you see Paul doing here. He says, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So he's quoting scripture. That's what kind of gets him back in line. He has a very quick reaction recovery time. Now, it's really quite brilliant what he does here, though. He kind of stirs the pot and gets them fighting among themselves. And it's pretty smart of him. It also shows some courage as he's facing this, uh, these false accusations against him. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, the two major religious groups of that day, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees, and this is where you get some really good insight on, on what the Sadducees believe. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, so they didn't believe in the supernatural, they didn't believe in angels and all those other things as the Pharisees did. So the, so the Sadducees said that there is no resurrection, no, nor angel, nor, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes in the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the, tri, uh, the tribune... Remember the tribune we talked about last week is the highest ranking Roman official in Jerusalem. This is the one that has brought him in here. And so it says, uh, where am I? What verse is that? 10, and when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to, to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. This is so cool. This is, this is great. Verse 11, 
The following night, the Lord stood by him. Have you ever had that where you just knew the Lord was standing by me? He's with me. So Paul, he sees all this dissension, there's false accusations, he could lose his life, and the Lord stood by him. If, if you can understand that, if you can grasp that, if, you, if you're a child of God, the Lord is standing by you today, no matter what you're going through. It's real. He's there for you. He's not against you. He loves you. And so that's, that's the idea of that. And, and then the Lord said, take courage. So you could take this this morning. Take courage. He would speak to you this morning. Take courage. And then he's got a plan for you. Obviously, it's not the same that he's got for Paul here, but he says, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so he's kind of guiding him. The rest of the chapter is really quite interesting. I'll let you read that on your own later on today or this week. But there's a plot to kill Paul. In fact, there's a whole bunch of them that uh, decide that they're not going to eat or drink until they kill Paul. How would you like that one? And so... uh, Rumor gets out, and Paul's sister, Paul's sister, sister's son, hears about it. Comes and tells Paul. Paul tells this official, and then he gets a. In fact, it says in verse twenty-three, and then he called two of the centurions and said, "Get ready two hundred soldiers and seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night, and they were going to escort Paul." With that kind of an escort, pretty unbelievable, to Caesarea so that he could be tried by Felix, the governor. And that's where we kind of move into the next part of the story. So this is God's word to us this morning. Three things we're looking at as it relates to a good conscience. First of all, why is a good conscience important? Number two, what is a good conscience? What does that mean? And then number three, how can I have a good conscience? So those are the three things we're looking at this morning. Take a look there at your notes. So why, why is a good conscience important? Three reasons for it. Here's the first one, most significant. It gives us confidence before God. Did you notice he said, before God? I have a clear conscience before God. So it gives us confidence before God. If you know in your heart that all is well between you and God, I mean, you can face anything. If you have no guilt and shame that's kind of mucking and miring that up, that all is well between you and God, you can handle anything. Um, Spurgeon put it this way, faith saves us, but assurance satisfies us. You, You can know in your head that you're saved, but you need to know in your heart, you need to have the assurance of that in your heart. And uh, you've heard me say this many times before. There's a difference between the peace of God that rules our hearts and minds and peace with God. I can always tell that I'm living in the reality of the peace, the peace with God, peace with God, because peace of God will rule my heart and, and my mind. If I'm stressing out in the events of life, it's because I'm not living in the reality of the fact I have peace with God. You guys tracking with me? So all I got to do is look at how I'm responding to the people and the circumstances of my life, and that will give me an indication of whether or not I'm living in the reality. I have peace with God. I have access to the throne room of God. God is for me and not against me. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to really have the weight of that 
to sink deep and to really believe it. And so the measure of that is seen in my, the peace in my life, regardless of the people and the things that are happening to me and the circumstances of my life. It says in Romans 5.1, I didn't put this as one of your cross-references. You can write it down. It's a good one. It says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace of God is knowing that you can run any time into the presence of a holy God without fear of his judgment because you have peace with him through Jesus Christ. Anytime you can run into the presence of a holy God without fear of judgment because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's pretty amazing. I don't think we live in the reality of that. Because we would be unbeatable if we, if we really understood that. And that takes us to the next point. So it gives us courage before men. Would you say that Paul has a lot of courage before these guys? I mean, he's, he lashes out. I mean, he just like stands up and says, hey, how dare you strike me? Then he realized, ooh, that was out of line. But then he stirs the pot a bit. He's not afraid to kind of stir things up a little bit, mix it up. I think that's really demonstrating a great deal of courage. I gave you some cross-references there. Romans 8, 31 and 32, you probably hear me often quote this, and it goes like this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Do you understand what that verse is saying? If he took care of our worst problem, our our being uh, actually separated from God, really for all eternity, that's where we were headed, eternal separation from God. If he took care of our worst problem, he'll take care of all of our lesser problems. That's what he's saying. If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, if you just took that one verse and just begin to meditate on it throughout the day and allow God to begin to make this, this, uh, this objective truth become a hard experience, subjective experience in your life, I mean, it would make a major difference in your life. I believe that you'd be able to also apply the, the verse that says there, 2 Timothy 1.7, where it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and of a sound mind or self-control. A number of years ago when I had just gotten into construction, I was working up at St. John's uh, Coronado Generating Station and then I was moved back down. I was going through the apprenticeship here and I remember going into an apprenticeship class. lasted four years, but two nights a week, about three or four hours a night. I remember the, the teacher in that class was a vile, very vile man. He used a lot of profanity and he was very intimidating. And I, I, I remember going into that class literally shaking before I'd go in. I was so intimidated. I was a bit of a naive young man raised in a, a Christian home and uh, for some reason this guy just terribly intimidated me and he would call people out in the class and it was just, it was quite frightening. And I'll never forget this, there was a, uh, most, some of you know who Scott Spurlock was, he was in the class and uh, he was a Christian man and so he was a, really a great uh, comrade so to speak as we kind of faced off with this teacher and the guys that were in there, most of the guys in there were pretty pretty unbelievable in their, in their lifestyle and the things that they were doing. And, but because of his kind of companionship, and, but more importantly, I took verses like, like I just quoted to you, like this 2 Timothy 1.7. I would begin to meditate on that. And I was able to square off and face the issues and the, the, the fear of that, that, that intimidation, because I knew if God is for me, who can be against me? And so it brings this courage before men, but it also gives us a calmness in all circumstances. That's the next one. And here's what's interesting as you look at this text. Paul faces death time and time again. By the end of chapter 23, we will see that Paul is rescued from certain death four different times. And I laid that out for you on your notes. 
Here's what I found about God, and, and that sometimes he calms the storm. How many have ever had God calm the storm in your life? I mean, it's phenomenal. I've seen him do that. And sometimes he calms his child in the storm. And we're going to see God doing that throughout the rest of the book of Acts. So sometimes he calms the storm, sometimes he calms his child in the storm. Either way, you can trust his loving, wise control of your life. You can trust his love. And um, I, I think that's what we can learn from this. We can look at this. So it gives us confidence before God. It's out of that confidence before God, I have courage before men, and then I'm going to have a calmness in all circumstances. Here's, let's answer the next question. What is a good conscience? <clears throat> what is a good conscience? If you have your Bibles, uh, just keep your finger there in Acts 23 and, and turn to the right to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 because here Paul gives us an explanation of a good conscience. I mean, it's, it's really good, great insight. So we're going to learn, Paul's going to teach us here, really give us good explanation of a, of a good conscience. Explanation of a good conscience. It's 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 4. Are you there? Let me read. This is how one should regard us. Paul's talking about himself. And, and there was this party spirit. These people were following. Some were following Paul and some were following Apollos. And they were kind of elevating these guys. And he says, hey, wait, wait, wait. You shouldn't be doing that. You should be following Jesus. We're just, we're just signposts pointing, pointing to Jesus. He says, so this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. We're just signposts. And stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. <clears throat> now, here's where he gets into it where he helps us to understand this. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, so my, my conscience isn't troubled. Notice what he says here, but I am not thereby acquitted. Just because I don't feel guilty doesn't mean... I'm not guilty, is what he's saying. We're going to, we'll talk about that. And notice what he says. He, he ends it by saying, it is the Lord who judges me. Okay, so he's given us some really good insight on how to have a clear conscience. Let me, let's go back now and uh, let's fill in some blanks here. So what is a good conscience? It is not validation from others. And we see that in, in the verse 3 that we just read. He said, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now, this is the language often of, used by modern people. How many have ever heard people say, I don't care what you say, I don't care what anybody says? You know, so that's very common, but what's interesting is that uh, it was very rare in, the, in a traditional culture, particularly in this culture for someone to say this, where duties to family, tribe, and, and caste were, were all important. The reason why Paul is saying that is because others can give you a false positive or a false negative. Let me explain what I mean by that. Others can give you a false. Um, others can give you a false positive. Here's a false positive as it relates to your conscience. Keep in mind, remember what conscience is. It has to do with your guilt and shame. Guilt is troubled over what you have done. Shame is troubled over who you are, and so you can actually have friends who can give you a false positive. They can make you feel good when you should feel bad. That's a false positive. 
A false positive is that you get around your friends and they say, yeah, leave the dude. Or, you know, they'll give you, they'll give you a lot of, you can get real bad counsel and make you actually feel good that you should be taking this path when in reality, according to God's word, there should be another path that you should be taking. So that's why he's saying that. It's because friends can give you a, a false positive, but friends can also give you a false negative. They can make you feel bad when you shouldn't feel bad. Okay, so that's why he's saying that. And uh, how many have ever seen the movie Goodwill Hunting? Interesting movie, isn't it? Matt, Matt Damon is Will. He's an underachiever, and uh, he, he tends to undermine and sabotage relationships just shortly into relationships. And come to find out it was because of abuse in his life. And he's gone through from one counselor to the next counselor to the next, and finally he's with Robin Williams is playing the counselor. And while Robin Williams begins to relate to him through his own abuse and the abuse that he experienced in his past. And there's a, there's a real classic scene in the movie uh, where Robin Williams is in there and he's got his file and he opens it up and, and Matt Damon says, you know anything about this? He goes, yeah, I do. My dad was a drunk and he would come home and beat all of us. And then Robin Williams looks uh, Matt Damon, who's Will, in the eyes, and he says, it's not your fault. I know, I know. And that's how he responds. I know, I know, it's not my fault. No, it's not your fault. And he goes, oh, yeah, I know. I know it's not my fault. What, what happened to you, what they did to you, what your dad did to you is not your fault. He says it about three or four times, and finally it begins to sink into him. And he just breaks down and begins to weep. And, and I, I, I thought of that, and I, th- I was just thinking... If you, if you have been abused, and there's a lot that have been abused, uh, none of us came from perfect families, and there's all sorts of abuse that take place in our lives, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's the tendency to be mired in guilt and shame thinking it was your fault. And I, and I want to tell you it's not your fault. It's not your fault. If you could hear the words of the Father to you, that you've carried shame from whatever. It might be sexual abuse or it could be emotional. It could be physical. It's not your fault. Uh, many of us were brokenhearted this last week over that whole Penn State thing. If you were watching the news, it was just like, oh my goodness. And I, wanted, I, I just almost wanted to go to each of those boys that were, had been uh, betrayed, trust shattered, deep wounds that will take them a, a long time to overcome. They're, they're going to need people to come alongside of them because their trust, they're going to have any trust for a real long time. And it's going to take a lot of work. But Jesus is our ultimate healer. And he comes to us and he says, hey, it's not your fault. And I can recycle that pain and I can, I can work in your life and take that which was meant to harm you to work for your good and the good of others. It's that 50-20 of, of Genesis when, when uh, Joseph was able to look in the eyes of his perpetrators and he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He was abused by his brothers. They, they, they were going to kill him and then they decided not, but they sold him into slavery and it was just, oh, it was, it was unbelievable what happened and yet he, he was able to look at them and, because there was freedom that came to his life. 
So, so people can put guilt and shame on you by, by how they treat you. And, uh, and so you've got to be careful. And that's the reason why the Apostle Paul is teaching us that it is not the validation from others because you can get both uh, false positives and false negatives. And so you must discern whether your guilt and shame is a response to God or it's from a, from a critical mother or father or abuse from your past. You've got, you've got to begin to look at that discerningly and work through that and, and Christ can bring healing to you. And here's the next one. It is not validation from self either. Did you notice what he said here? He said, in fact, I don't even judge myself. And, and this is what was interesting about this. He says, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. You understand what he's saying? Just because I don't feel guilty doesn't mean that I'm not guilty. Because there are psychopaths out there that have done some pretty horrendous things a number of years ago. I don't know if you saw the story about the BTK killer. The guy's name is Dennis Rader. He was a family man, community leader. And for like 15 to 20 years, he was terrorizing this small community. And he would, he would bind, torture, and kill these women. And as he was, as he was uh, talking about this in, in court, oh, the, the chilling accounts, he did it without even blinking an eye. There was no remorse. There was no repentance whatsoever. No bad feelings. It's, it's pretty amazing. And so the fact is, is because we are sinful, we can actually do things and not feel bad about those things. And so we have to, uh, you can give yourself a false positive, uh, that is, you can, you can feel good when you should feel bad, or you can give yourself a false negative, you can feel bad when you should feel good. Um, and so, uh, in fact, let me just, let me stop there just for a minute, because all of us tend to lean towards uh, one or the other. We either, we tend to lean towards false positives or false negatives. And so you kind of see if you can identify where you might come from. I'm going to spell them out in kind of an extreme way. I was asking my wife this, and so uh, it was interesting between her, because she tends to lean more towards false, kind of false positives. She feels good when she should feel bad, okay? That's my wife. I feel bad when I should feel good. Part of it is because she's, a pa- she's passive in her aggression. So she can t- kind of stuff it and kind of deny it a bit better than I can. I'm, I tend to be open in my aggression. So I tend to be a little bit more, more out there. So this is kind of part of the dynamics of how God's wired us up. But for instance, a, a false positive, they feel good when they should feel bad, is that they've been told their whole life, this is the extreme case, because I don't see this you know, 100% in my wife, but... There's a little bit here. Um, they've been told their whole lives that they are wonderful just the way they are. Everything is fine. They have a great self-esteem. Nobody should impose their values on them. They should decide what is right and wrong for them. These are self-indulgent people who always put themselves first, not loyal. They don't keep their promises and are self-centered and should feel more guilty, but they don't. So there's that one extreme, false positive. Then you've got your false negative. They feel bad when they shouldn't when they should feel good, and they don't like themselves, always down on themselves, they try so hard, feel like they can never live, uh, never live up to the standards, always beating themselves up. 
You guys tracking with me on that? Can you see how these two... So we all tend, because we're sinful, we tend to respond in one of those two extreme ways to the issues of our our life. Some of you, here's what's interesting is that I can typically tell when I'm preaching and I say, hey, we need more people to get involved and come on, we need more people to get off the bench. And typically, who do you think gets involved and who doesn't get involved? It's usually the people who have the, the false negatives get more involved. Like my, like my mom, she's involved in every ministry in the church and then she gets involved in more ministries after we say that. And she's like, yeah, and I go, mom, you're already too busy. So there's that tendency to do that and then the people that need to get involved says, ah, oh, I'm not going to get involved. They're kind of going the other way. And so it's kind of hard sometimes to break through that but you've got to be able to identify which way that you tend to lean and you're going to lean either one way or the other. Sometimes you need to feel bad and you feel good. And sometimes you feel good when you, need, when you need to feel bad. I mean, so, so it works, works both ways, and so it's certainly not validation from self. I give you a bunch of cross-references to help you to see that. So feelings of guilt without the fact of guilt have no valid reason. So if you have feelings of guilt, but you don't have the fact of guilt, you can't put your finger on anything in the Bible that you've done wrong, they have no valid reason to exist. If you just kind of have this general feeling bad about yourself, you need healing especially if you haven't done anything wrong. There's something maybe in your past, something that's happening, something that the enemy is throwing a major guilt into your life just to make you feel crappy about life. If he can't get you to go to hell, he will bring as much hell into your life as he can to get you sidelined and, and away, kind of walking out away from God. Here's another thing too sometimes that I'll hear people say this. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. How many have ever heard that before? Some of you have actually said that before. If God forgives us, here's my response. If God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's like setting ourselves up as a higher court than him. So we're not taking what he has said about us seriousness, serious enough. That there's something, there's a standard that's still higher than what he would establish for us that we're, we're giving to ourselves. And so that's part of that. Here's the last, the next part of this section. It is validation from God. It is validation from God. Notice what he says. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. And and here, he wouldn't have been able to say that if he didn't understand that through the cross, that the law of God demands perfection, but the gospel of God declares perfect all who trust in Jesus. He wouldn't have been able to say that unless he knew that he, he was perfect before God through Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that it is a frightening thing, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible says that all of us will stand before God and give an account of our life. That is a frightening thing. But he was able to say, it's the Lord that judges me. But he knew that his account was clear, paid in full through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's called justification, just as if I've never sinned before. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Court adjourned. Verdict is in. I am complete in Jesus Christ. I stand before God completely righteous. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You understand what that means? Is that all your sins, past, present, future, will never, ever, ever be held against you. That's amazing. That is amazing. I mean, so this is what often happens in my, my life. I get snubbed by somebody. I get betrayed by another person. And I immediately have to go back to the cross. Their snub, their betrayal, their offense, that's nothing compared to 
I'm adored by the one who created the heavens and the earth. Can you see the importance of always coming back to the, to the cross, always coming back to Christ, always coming back to the word? That no matter what goes down in your life, he is, he is big enough. He is, he's the trump card. He's the one that, that, that makes the ultimate verdict for our lives, regardless of what people say, regardless of what has been done to you. Here, here's what you need to know. Your identity is not what you do, nor what has been done to you, but it's what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. That's your identity. But the enemy would try to drag us back out into this, into this courtroom and say, no, you are what you have done. Look what you have done. God will never forgive you of that. Or look what they have done to you and tries to heap shame upon you. And then we become mired in all of this. When Jesus is saying to us through the Apostle Paul when he wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. It doesn't matter what you've done. I mean it matters, but it doesn't matter in light of eternity and the light of the cross. He forgives you. He forgives you. You are forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation and, and so when those things come back that kind of haunt and harass you from the past, you think, oh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I, why did I let this happen in my life? You need to take it to the cross. It needs to drive you to your knees and say, Jesus, you have forgiven me. It is finished. It is paid in full. And you have to do a little warfare there until you can experience the freedom so that you can recall it without reliving it. Same thing for what has been done to you. Some of you have experienced horrendous things done to you. And so you know that healing is beginning to take place in your life when you can recall it, but you don't relive it. And in fact, when you recall it, it brings a sense of joy of God's redemption and His grace and how He's redeemed you. And then you're able to use that in your life to share it with others, to show others that they can have hope and, and show them that Jesus is the ultimate healer. And so that's why He's, he's saying that that's why it's important. I'm going to show you a video clip, and then I'm going to give you the rest of, of the things, and we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. But to end this video clip, it's about a six-minute clip. It's from uh, the movie uh, Johnny Cash. It's uh, Walk the Line, and it's an interesting movie. If you're familiar with his biography, is that uh, he was really traumatized uh, by a death of his older brother. His dad held him responsible, created this junk in his life. And you can see later on in his life, we're going to flash to a scene, later on in his life, he's still struggling. He's still desiring the approval of his, of his daddy, of his dad, and he's still struggling with that. Check this out, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll work through the rest of the notes, and we'll take communion this morning. That's why I love the gospel. The gospel is about setting us free. Jesus sets us free from the sins we've committed and the sins that have been committed against us. So if we are believers in Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer, the Bible tells us, second chapter of Romans, that God is storing up his wrath against you and you will stand before God and give an account. But all of the wrath of God was placed upon Jesus if you put your faith in him. And so as believers, how do we take out the trash, so to speak? How do we we take, dump our trash out as we ask him to help us to get rid of the trash that's been put in our trash basket, so to speak, from others. How do we deal with the sins we have committed and the sins that have uh, been committed against us? And this is where we kind of wrap it up. How can I have a good conscience? And here's some things to be thinking about. It's, it's, it's a bit of an inventory. 
And so here's the next point, number one, you will not want to be living in contradiction to what you know is God's will. So when you find that you're living in contradiction to God's will, just as we saw the apostle uh, Paul, as he was confronted, he immediately remembered, a, recalled a verse, and he says, okay, repentance, he repented. It's, a, it's confession and repentance. It's turned from sin towards Christ. And the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So you're not motivated out of, out of duty, and you're not sorrowful so much for what the sin has caused you, but what the sin has caused God in others and the misrepresentation of the one that you are in love with, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So you, be, you look at your life, and, and that's what I would invite you to do. We're going to take communion in just a few moments. Are there things in your life that you know that you're living in contradiction to God's word? And I would invite you to repent. Come back to Him. And, and so when we take communion, this is how you prepare your heart. Each and every day, when you're uh, going through the Lord's Prayer, so to speak, forgive us of our sins, you allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. God, are there areas of my life in how I'm treating others, how I'm treating my wife, how I'm treating my spouse, how I'm treating those in my life that I'm treating them wrongly? Am I responding to you inappropriately? Am I dealing with the circumstances of life appropriately? Here's the next question that's good to ask. You will not want to waste your life but be using your gifts and opportunities to serve God. Are you, are you using what God has given you ultimately for His glory? Are you willing to be identified as a Christian to those around you? Are you giving your time, talent, treasure to, to ministry and missions that fits your shape? Um, and that's, that's just the heart of someone that wants to live for God's glory. And then here's the last point, big point, really important. You must know that one and two that we just talked about cannot ever make you right with God, but can only provide evidence that you are really a child of God, saved by grace and completely accepted by God. So this is how it works. The cross tells us this, I accept you as you are, I believe you're valuable, I care when you hurt, I desire what is best for you, I erase all wrongs, and it's out of that that we want to live for His glory and, and all that He is. Our improvement comes from God's approval. Our improvement, our transformation comes from God's approval. God's approval does not come from our improvement. Don't reverse that. So the more you are stunned and your heart is smitten by the beauty and the glory of what Christ has done for you, it is finished, paid in full. And when you begin to bring those things that have been done to you to the cross, he begins to, to redefine those. He recycles that pain and can use that in your life for, his, for your good and his glory. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. They're going to pass out communion elements. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you can just let it pass on. But you can become a believer by putting your faith in Jesus. I would invite you to do that. And you could take, your, take communion for the first time as a believer this morning. Just acknowledge your sin. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. And uh, turn your life to Him. Just take a few moments about these questions that we looked at. Just look into your heart and then, then repent. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we're thankful that through the cross, You take care of the sin that, has, that we have committed, paid in full, and You deal with the sins that have been committed against us to bring healing, health, and wholeness to our lives. We pray that You do that now as we receive communion. In Your Son's name,
Just hang on to the elements and I'll walk you through the process this morning. It's pretty amazing. He forgives us of all of our sins. So you are forgiven of all of your sins through Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's freedom in Jesus. No matter what you've done, he forgives you. He forgives you. And now, not only, what is, not only that, but whatever has been done to you, he can take it and he can redeem it and work in your life. And the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort can comfort you so that you can be of comfort to others in their time of need. So we take these elements in Jesus' name because of what he's accomplished. We are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let's take the bread together. Let's drink the cup together this morning. Would you stand with me, please? So this is not the end of this. I mean, each day we have to take out the trash. We, we sin. We make those course corrections. So there's a healthy guilt and shame that drives us to the cross to find cleansing, correction, and uh, that we can celebrate the goodness of God. And it keeps us on track. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he, may he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus as you begin to and continue to live in the reality that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And we say this in, in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.